Hello and welcome to another episode of Oconus, the Contractor's Life from Washington State. I'm your host, Scott Dresser. My guest today is uh, Trevor Ritchie. He's a former member of the United States Army and a private security contractor. Uh, Trevor, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. <laughs> Me too. Uh, you know, folks have heard this before, but uh, we had a couple of hits and misses and trials and errors with this, didn't we? <laughs> we we did. I think this is our, our second or third time. <laughs> it is, but we finally got it all worked out. Well, you know, they say that oftentimes, uh, you know, we often hear the term technical glitches and what, but you know what? It usually turns out to be what? Human error. <laughs> Which, yeah, most of the time. Yeah, it was human error at my end. Anyway, uh, so Trevor, thank you for putting up and tolerating with all this stuff. Uh, so uh, for the folks that are listening, uh, Trevor, can you go ahead and uh, give people a brief uh, background on who you are and what you did prior to becoming a private security contractor? Yeah, so I started out in the Army uh, working as reconnaissance, a, a scout, and I came home after a couple deployments with the military. I was working at a uh, at a prison in Aberdeen, and somebody there was talking about how they're going to go contracting at one of the black sites over in Afghanistan. And I just kind of rolled my eyes a little bit because these are a bunch of meth head loggers that are working out there. So I was like, <laughs> you know what? I, I I remember when I was with the military. Seeing Blackwater roll through, seeing um, Aegis and, and all those other British companies roll through, and I was like, I, I want to be one of those guys. So I, I I dipped my toe a little bit, and I eventually got picked up by Sock on the Twiz Two contract, working out of um, Nazaria Air Base, Cobb Adder, and <laughs> that was the, the first foray into contracting for me while I was there. Uh, Became friends with a couple of guys on the ground. One of them ended up going over to, to Global and contracting there. Well, my roommate uh, was in the Marines with the guy that went to Global. And he got the recruiter's email from him, and I got the recruiter's email from my roommate. Reached out to the recruiter at Global, and uh, and sure enough, I was picked up after, you know, the bio and everything to the WIPS contract. Hmm. So your first uh, foray or into uh, the contracting world was uh, was not – so you went straight into the State Department stuff. Is that correct? That's correct. I went to, to DOD first, and that was the TWIZ contract over at Cobb Adder. Okay. Securing – yeah, securing internal gates. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So uh, let me back up just a moment here. So. Um, for the folks who are listening, uh, what year did you get in and out of the Army? How many years did you serve? And uh, if, you, if you want to go into that a little bit with folks, uh, MOSs, tour duties, anything like that? Yeah, I got in the Army. Uh, I raised my right hand in 2004. Uh, my first MOS was a 31 Bravo. I was a military police officer. I did not appreciate that very much. Huh. Like, like everybody who has ever raised their right hand, their recruiter has lied to them. I guarantee you, you put 10 of us in a room and nine out of 10 of us are going to say our recruiter lied to us. Um, so when I, 
when I realized in short order that my recruiter lied to me, I eventually began looking for another another MOS, which is a lot harder to do in the military than it is in civilian life. You can't just go on to Indeed.com and try to find a new MOS in the Army. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> right. So you had to yeah, you had to go back and talk to your unit, uh, let them know your intent, and they'll probably do everything in their power to block you. But I eventually changed my MOS to a 19 Delta. And in real short order, I, I realized that 19 Deltas are not not the most favored in the entire Army. But you know what? The, the job that we did was reconnaissance and scouting and calling back enemy positions and uh, you know all that high speed fun stuff that you you always dream of when you're when you're playing army and it turns out that in the the warfare that was going on in Iraq that was not the case hmm. so i I had two military tours over in Iraq um, right now the years the exact years of state military was two thousand five to two thousand seven and two thousand eight to two thousand eleven. Okay. 2010. Yeah, 2008-2010. And then in 2011, I went contracting with SOC. Okay. So, yeah. so your your tours, uh, so you, you got out in 2010 or 2011? I was still, I was still technically in. Um, I got out of the military officially in 2011. Okay. So all I did was take a extended leave from the army when I went contracting. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So you were at or near the end of your enlistment, and uh, I forget mm-hmm. there's that term that guys use. It's uh, it, it escapes me. At the IRR. Maybe that's what it is. Is that that that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I was I was IRR, um, inactive, ready reserve. Um, I, I ETS out of the army, and um, and stayed contracting. Okay. Yeah. Now, so okay, so you had you had a you enjoyed your time in the army, I presume. I did. Yeah, and you did you, the two tours you did were what Iraq. I both of my tours were in Iraq. Unfortunately, they would never send me to Afghanistan as much as I begged and pleaded. <laughs> you, you wanted to go there. That's funny. Uh, I, I did, well, after my first tour in Iraq, I mean, I, I realized how political and how, how much BS was happening in Iraq and Afghanistan was an actual real war. So, yeah, I wanted to go to Afghanistan. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. The reason I'm laughing uh and probably let folks in on this is is there was a there was an episode that I won't go into detail uh cuz that's not but I remember talking to some guys who drove through a um uh, one of the uh outlanes on on a base one day when I was working a um you know working the lanes and uh, they happened to be a couple uh, marine recruiters <laughs> And we got to talking and, and, uh, you know, they said, yeah, we'll make a waiver for you. And, uh, cause they asked me how old I was and I told them, they said, yeah, they said, we can, we can get you a waiver. Cause they saw that I was, you know, I had the, uh, the EGL, the Eagle Globe and Anchor, uh, thing on, mm-hmm. on my, uh, one of my pockets on, on the shirt that I was wearing. And so that's what, anyway, <clears throat> and I said, well, can I go to Iraq? And <laughs> they looked at each other and looked at me and go, you want to go? And I said, yeah. They said, Sure. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> anyway, that's that's why I said that. I mean, who in the right mind wants to go there, right? <laughs> yeah, there's there's not a not a whole lot of us that actually want to go to those places. But then again, I mean, you got to be a little insane to do some of the things we've done. <laughs> right. Anyway, so that that my friend and anybody who's listening is why I was you want to go there? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the things that separates. Um, us from a lot of the other people uh, that do security or, or other things is we want to go to these places and do these things. Um, so anyway, okay, that was an aside. So you know, so you got on contract. First one was twi- Twist. You said Twist Two, and for the folks that are listening, I think they've probably heard it. But can you tell them what Twist is or what it stands for? Yeah, Twist is uh, Theater Wide Internal Site Security um, or Iraq Site Security. I've heard it both ways. Uh, nobody can seem to really give me a straight answer, but bottom line, it's basically internal site security. You're you're standing on gates. Um, you're you're keeping maintenance control over the Ugandans who are in the tower. Which I mean, anybody who's ever been downrange with Ugandans has stories for days about those guys. Mm-hmm. I, yes, I can't. Yeah. Um, it's actually, you know, let, let's jump right into one of those stories. I, I love telling this story all the time. Okay. We were roughly going around to the different towers, changing out their radio batteries, and we get up into this tower, and there are flies just everywhere. I, I mean, and, and typically in Iraq, when the seasons change, you have two season changes. You have the rainy season and the dry season. Both of those seasons are when the flies come out. <laughs> yes, they do. And the Ugandans <laughs> do not like the flies at all. And nobody really does. But one of the one of the other contractors, one of the uh, other country contractors, I forget. I want to say he's Pakistani, but anyways, he, he's he's going around all the porta potties. He, he's emptying the porta potties. He's putting new blue water in there and all this other stuff. The Ugandans shout down to him and say, hey, you know, we, we want to get rid of these flies. How do we do it? He's like, oh, I'll come up there and, and spray this blue water down there. I've never dealt with flies in the porta potty. These, these people let him put the blue water in the tower, and they sat in this blue water from the porta potty all day. Wow. So by the time we got out there at night, the whole thing was covered in flies. There was flies in the water. There was flies in the tower. And it, it, if anybody listening has kids and you walk into your kids' room and their faces are covered with paint and the crayons all over the walls and they had that look like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> that was the look these guys had on their face. And like, what, what are you guys doing? Like, Sorry, we do not like the flies. <laughs> so they told me this whole story, and I was like, "Oh, oh my god, oh, oh my god!" Right? Oh, I I couldn't believe it. I mean, they, this blue water was, and these these towers are are nothing spectacular. I mean, they're they're basically angle iron with sheet metal uh, tack welded to the bottom for a floor, and then a wood side and some windows. So it was an inch of blue water in this in this tower. Huh. It, was just, it was bad. I I couldn't believe it. I I cannot believe these guys. Wow. Um. I wonder if the guy that did that uh, was serious or if he thought it would be a real funny prank to pull. 
on the uh, sock guards or something. I mean, oh man. I'm pretty sure he was trying to pull a prank. It was, it was a Pakistani Indian, some some TCM. Okay. He, he just wanted it. Yeah, he just wanted to have a good time at their expense. Wow. Well, you know, and that's, uh, I mean, it kind of is funny. We, we've seen a, a lot of those funny moments uh, with uh, various nationalities that are not used to or don't know certain things because uh, they, you know, they're not accustomed to it. They haven't been exposed to it. Um, you know, and for those that are listening, uh, we're, we're at least we're, we are by no means disparaging the Ugandans. We're just, <laughs> I'm just, you know, uh, because I, I worked with a number of really good ones and some of them were mm-hmm. extremely helpful in, in, in a lot of ways. But, uh, that is, a, so I know what you're talking about, <laughs> but, uh, cause I remember that red stuff. I forget what they called it, but it was, it was like a, a, a red soupy. It looked like really wet paint. And it was red. Yeah. And, and I think it was KBR or whoever was there, but they would come out and, and, you know, you just go up and say, hey, man, you know, tell them what's going on. They say, yeah, I'll be out there. Um, and they go out there and they get a paintbrush and they just, you know, swab it on whatever it is uh, at certain areas. And low. And he said, don't touch it. Wait till it dries. And uh, I said, even then, don't touch it if you can help it. But it worked. Whatever what that red stuff was, it worked. <laughs> Uh, but blue, blue potty water. Oh man. So, but wow. no, that, no, that was it. You, so you said that was Cobb Adder, right? That was Cobb Adder. Okay. Uh, and, uh, now was that, that was 2010 or 11? That was, that was 2011. Okay. That's interesting. Cause, um, I think you probably got there shortly. Uh, that's right. That was with sock because I was gonna say, cause, uh, me and some of the guys uh, were at that same place. Um, who is it with? With another company that sucked. That's one of the reasons we went on to where we went, which worked out as far as I'm concerned. It was, you know, everything happens for a reason. That's right. I forgot. Sock mm-hmm. took it over. And uh, so you guys came in and took over what we what we were doing with, uh, I think at the time was EODT. And uh, yep. So, yeah, uh, that's a big base, and, it, and it's, it's got some scars out there, too, still, I would imagine. <laughs> it does. It, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, sitting on the gates, uh, one of the things, actually, really the only thing that I was required to do was to sit on this gate for 12 hours a day and make sure that nobody got into the airfield without prior authorization so you had you know the right credentials yeah go ahead right in um so sitting on this gate for for 12 hours right next to the mwr i had free wi-fi and Hmm. thankfully the wi-fi was strong enough to reach so i sat there on my on my computer doing schoolwork trying to get my degree Hmm. i was in the middle of a class and, and we were required to do these lectures once a week I was in the middle of the class and I had to send a message to the entire class saying, I'm sorry, I have to sign off right now. The teacher was getting a little upset with me. I said, why, why do you have to sign off? You know you're going to have to make this up. I said, okay, I, I will make this up if I survive this mortar attack that we're under right now. <laughs> oh, well, just send me an email. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, man. I was watching mortar walk in down, down the runway. It's just like, oh, well, 
I hope they don't hit me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, for those of us who, who've been there, yeah, we know what you're saying. Uh, for those folks that are listening, it's, uh, probably still a hard thing to grasp, but, um, do you want to, do you want to go into what you were thinking or what, <laughs> what you were feeling when that happened? Well, for the folks who don't know, the best way to describe it is you are, you're the rear seat passenger in a car that is driving 60 miles an hour for a 30 car pileup, hoping to God the driver avoids the collision before you guys hit it. <laughs> you have no control. Right. You have no idea what's going to happen. You just sit there and, and hope and right. make sure that you come to peace and have your affairs in order. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you either get that calm. Is it at that moment, yeah. is it that moment you you realize that oh crap, I never had my will notarized. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, a lot of things go through our minds, uh, but at some point, usually, as I recollect, for me, pretty quickly though, um, I got pretty focused, and uh, and after a time, you just kind of remain pretty calm about it, and almost nonchalant mm-hmm. blase at at some point um you know um uh, not a not a death wish if you will <laughs> but you just you're not concerned just about it yeah, yeah yeah that's probably the best way to put it it's just it right um and i think i think in that moment i was i was more interested in getting out of the class than worrying if the mortars were going to hit me because they were still <laughs> probably Two, three hundred meters away. I just didn't want to be in that class. <laughs> I wanted a good enough excuse, and I said, "You know, what? I, I bet this teacher has never heard of this excuse." <laughs> so, uh, well, let's 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 pick up on that. So, when you got back uh, in touch with them, uh, anything come of it? Anybody ask about it? I I think a couple of people asked, like, "Are you okay? Where are you at? Uh, you know, can we send you anything?" And I said, "Well, send me an A, and I'll be happy." <laughs> So they knew they knew you were in Iraq working then. They did. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't a big secret. Uh, the university I was going to, and they're not paying me, and I'm done paying them, so I'm not going to say their name. But they were very. They claimed to be very military friendly. Okay. All right. So so you got a degree while? Did you get your degree while you were over there? No, I actually um, I took a couple classes with that college. I stopped going. Um, I didn't want to use my my GI Bill for those classes. I, you know, I just didn't see a, a reason to blow it on some some online college. It wasn't until I got to Global, and once again was found myself working static security after my time with the teams was done that my uh, shift lead said, "Hey, why, we're sitting here for twelve hours. Why don't you get your degree?" and at that time, Global was offering tuition reimbursement. Mm. So, you know, I'm making a hundred thousand plus a year. I can pay for my college out of my pocket, submit my receipt to the company, and they'll pay me back. Mm. So, why not save my why not save my VA benefits? Mm. And that's what that's actually what allowed me to use my VA benefits to obtain two degrees. Wow, what are those? I have a degree in criminal justice and security, as well as a degree in paralegal studies. Huh. Interesting. 
Okay. So, and, and we'll get back to this in a moment, but that would probably benefit at least one of those, maybe both of those benefit what you're doing now. And we'll come back to that later, but I'm, I'm guessing yeah. it's helped. It, it has. And, and in all honesty, the only reason I got the paralegal degree was to have a fallback option. Huh. And, and, and that's something that uh, some of us um, hearken upon with people all the time. Um, I call it a plan B and a plan C, but a fallback mm-hmm. plan, um, yeah. you know, kind of like what uh, our parents and grandparents used to tell us, you know, well, in spite of everything you're doing, that's great, but get yourself a trade, <laughs> yep. you know, something, something you can always fall back on. Um, okay. So Cobb Adder out there, that's a, a generally what we call the Nazaria area, correct? Yes. Um, and there was, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure you saw it. Um, what was that? Uh, they say that uh, Muhammad was born there, as I understand the way the locals told me, and from what I've heard, uh, the, the ziggurat there. Just you know, just almost. I it was Abraham. Maybe it was Abraham. I thought, it, but I was told it was Muhammad. Uh, okay. That that's that's what I've been told. That's what I've heard. I've heard Abraham a couple times. But uh, Muhammad, Abraham, uh, whichever one it was, but that's but you know what I'm talking about that structure, the ziggurat. Oh yeah. And uh, it was. Uh, I remember it was told to me it was strictly off limits. You're not supposed to go there. But you know when nobody's looking, you hear the people go out there. You just got to do it in the dead of night when no one's looking. <laughs> well, and that, you know what? That's what's funny is in 2011 there were uh, tours. MWR was putting on tours. I want to say it was. Once a week, they were taking a bongo bus um, with like nine or ten people, and they were taking them out to the ziggurat. You couldn't go inside. That right. was the part that was strictly verboten. I'm sorry. You're right. That's what inside. it was. Yep, yep. Yep. But you could go outside. You could walk around. You could take pictures. Um, and I want to say it was like a a one-hour tour. And I still had my active military credentials on me at the time. I tried going going out there with them and they're like no this is this is military personnel only i said look at my card yeah we'll look at your face i had a full beard at the time so like, yeah, you, you can't come. <laughs> oh that's funny um uh, so so did you did you ever get it did you ever, ever get out there i did not um the closest i ever got was there was a tower on the on the very perimeter of the base and if you were on top of the tower with a good pair of binos you could just pick out the cigarette right um well i'm trying to remember uh i mean i don't want to give anything away and i want to but you know i guess it doesn't matter we're talking years later uh, but let's just say i made my way out there one one i'm going to say one day that's all i'm going to say <laughs> yeah uh, but i know what you're talking about I've i used heard to- those stories too yeah, uh, but I used to, uh, when I was out there, uh, you know, working the perimeter tower, perimeter security stuff, and there was, the, you know, they had that, you know, the towers, I'm assuming it didn't change. They had like 30-something towers the last time I counted. If you counted all the internal and perimeter towers, there were like 31 or 32 towers, something like that. Oh, there, uh, there was a lot of towers. They yeah. put a lot more since EODT left. Okay, uh, but I remember... There were two or three, um, and I get my cardinal directions here 
I want to say it was it would be north it would be east. The ziggurat was on the east side of the base out there, and uh, the, yeah, and there was one tower in particular that had a, actually a pretty decent view. Um, you, I could see it without the aid of binoculars, but I it, the detail was kind of lost without the binoculars, and uh, yeah. and you'd see people out there almost every day. You'd see people out there. And I think that's what really piqued my interest, that and the fact that we're not supposed to go there. <laughs> as, con- yeah. as, as contractors, it's like, what? Don't tell me that. You shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Put a big red button in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like the old joke with the, with the, with the sign on the, uh, on the front door at somebody's house that, uh, you know, reads, please knock. So, okay, I'll knock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, anyway, I, I won't go. Anyway, yeah. So, okay, so you worked uh, that. So that was your first foray into contracting with uh, Sock out there at Adder. And uh, what was that experience like? I mean, did did you enjoy it? Was I I enjoyed I enjoyed the taste of the contractor's life. I, that's probably the best I could say about my time with Sock. Okay. Um, Sock was was just absolutely I was not a huge fan of them, but at the same time I understand why I was in the position I was in. I was I I was considered entry level. I was a guard. That's that's all I was. I was there to to stand guard at a gate six, seven days a week, twelve hours, fourteen, sixteen hours a day. Mm. Okay. That was that was the job. Um Eventually, I got moved up to be the communications officer, and that made me responsible for all the radios and all the communications equipment on the base. Hmm. Um, and then when the logistics officer left on leave, uh, he slipped his two weeks notice underneath the, uh, the site director's door before he jumped on the plane. They didn't find that until a week after he was already CONUS. Huh. And so they tapped me to do that job. I said, sweet. So does that mean I'm going to get two paychecks? I said, nope. <laughs> well, crap. So, so you were doing two jobs. Director. I was. Oh, wow. Uh, I became the, the logistics director as well as the communications director. And then I finally said, screw it. I'm done. When I heard, when I got an email back from Global, said, hey, we, you know, State Department's accepted your bio. Uh, we're going to get you set up for training. I said, sweet, I'm bouncing, I'm out. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so. Okay, that so. Was, that was my time with SOC. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, a lot of us have worked for that company, and, you know, good and bad with every company. Um, you know, I, my memories were, um, I don't know, maybe I tend to just be a little um, altruistic in my memory recall. <laughs> You know, I tend yeah. to forget the bad things. They're still there. <laughs> I, I just don't recollect them. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. so, okay, so now uh, so you, you transition over to Global. And uh, for those that are listening, some, some people have heard that company name and others haven't because um, they've gone by a couple or a few iterations on that name. Um, and from what I hear, they're still out there. Um, and I, I don't remember how. But anyway. So you went to work for them. Now, what year are we talking when you when you went to them? <clears throat> I landed at the Consulate General in Basra on January first, two thousand eleven. Mm. <clears throat> I 
I, I remember um, my time with Global's done, so I, I, I could say this story and, and have absolute confidence that nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. Um, in fact, people listening uh, are probably still over their contract and, and have been there since the day that I landed. So this story might either make them laugh or piss them off. Who knows? But when I got done with training, it was, I want to say a week or two after Thanksgiving. Global was pushing to get guys over there. They wanted to flood everybody over there as soon as possible. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. But real quick, can I stay home for Christmas? Because at this point, it had been... My God, 2003 was the last Christmas I was home for. Hmm. I'm sorry, 2004. 2004 was the last Christmas that I was home for. And I said, I I just want to stay home for Christmas. That's it. I'll I'll fly out December 26th. I don't care. Just let me stay home for Christmas. They said, oh, sorry, we can't do that. All right, fine. I'll go get my, I'll go get my contractor ID and I'll, I'll let you know when I, when I have any, you know, Put me on the first thing smoking. At this point uh, was when the military was demobilizing from Iraq. So uh, being here in Washington, the nearest base you can get an ID card is Fort Lewis, um, what's now called JBLM, but I refuse to describe it like that. <laughs> Fort Lewis was the nearest. It was the nearest base we could get an ID at and our letter of authorization and all that fun stuff. Um, so I keep getting these emails once a week from, I forget the lady's name, but she's back in Virginia working at the headquarters saying, do you got your military ID card? And I would tell her, I said, oh yeah, you know, I, I sat in line for three hours. I kept getting pushed to the back of the line because, well, I, uh, I, I'm just a contractor. You got military coming back. They have precedence. They, their ID cards take precedence. <laughs> she said, Okay, well, just let us know as soon as you get it. I had my military, I had my contractor ID card long, long before any of this. <laughs> I was just like, nope, I, I don't have it. I, I don't have it yet. I'm sorry. I, I don't got it. Oh, man. I, so just to make sure that everything was good, I went to Camp Murray on like December 21st or December 22nd. I got my contractor card renewed on the new letter of authorization. Hmm. And December 27th, I sent her an email and said, hey, I finally got it done today. Give me a plane ticket. I was able to delay my plane ticket until after Christmas. Wow. Which is what I wanted to do. Right. <laughs> and and you know, it was keeping the story rolling because it just it has a fantastic climax. It, it, it's, it's pretty awesome. I Sorry, I... December 27th, send her the email. Hey, I'm good to go. Got my contractor ID. Get me on the first thing smoking. Get me my visa. Okay. December, December 29th or December 30th, I was set to fly. I'm going over there. And after all my training, I was like, man, I'm going to be on the TST team. I'm going to be the one rolling behind the motorcade, you know, just loaded for bear, ready to go into action. Those of us who have been there at that time, especially the our mutual friend knows that it it is nothing at all like that <laughs> but i didn't know that at the time <clears throat> so i get over there and um i'm met by 
by one of the admin guys, and he says, you know, we, we got to walk it. Um, we didn't have a vehicle to bring us from the airport to the consulate, which was probably about a mile away. Hmm. So what we called it was we called it the Mogadishu Mile in, in homage to the 1993 Mogadishu battle. Hmm. Um, so we're, I'm, me and this guy are dragging my bags. Uh, I get to the, I get to the headquarters building and they, they sit me down. They say, okay, we're going to put you on static site security. I said, all right, that's not what I want to do, but I want to be on a movement team. We'll see what we can do about that. Nope, you're static site security. Oh crap. <laughs> this old man comes in and he sits down, he's talking and they're like, Oh, by the way, this is so-and-so he is in charge of, you know, TST three. And I said, okay, Hey, how you doing? He's complaining about some guy who just left on the plane that I came in on. It's like, that's kind of odd. So after about 30 minutes of sitting in this, this shack, uh, another admin person comes out and says, by the way, this person is so-and-so. He is now your new shift lead. You are on TST3. Hmm. I was like, oh, really? <clears throat> hey, that's fantastic. I'm not going to complain about it because five minutes ago I was on static site security. <laughs> it turns out that while I was in the air, somebody on that team decided to have a a good New Year's party just started drinking like crazy and decided to climb up the towers where the Ugandans were. All of this was caught on video. And as anybody who's been downrange knows, drinking is 100% not allowed. <laughs> and it's, it is instant. See you later. You're, you're home. Yeah. So, uh, by that guy's stupidity, I was able to land on the team that I wanted doing the job that I wanted. Huh. I was very happy about that. Wow, um, that that is a uh, a, uh, str- a a very strange set of circumstances that just worked out beautifully for you, uh, and that's wonderful to hear. But you know, th- this brings up a lot of things. I mean, everything from uh, you know the process and what it takes to to get over there, even even when you're in the system, especially if you switch contracts. Um, but uh, you know, the whole thing about missing you know, uh, all those special times during the year that most Americans just take for granted because, you know, every year, you know, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, 4th of July, Valentine's Day, I mean, just go down the list, the birthdays, the stuff that we miss out on. And so for those of us who've been there, we we understand what you're saying. But those that haven't, um, you know, I guess the best way to put it is, is imagine you go to work in another country for XYZ Corporation and, uh, you know, you get to go home periodically, but never for those special times. Um, yeah. You know, that, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I've heard those stories before and, and I thought about doing it a few times myself, <laughs> delaying the process, you know, so I can stay home for this or that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> So okay, yeah, that, that was really playing with fire, though. I mean, right. looking back on it now, I I really was playing with fire, and I was right. not the was not the smartest decision I've ever made. Right. Well, yeah, it. Um, yeah, right. Uh, so, but anyway, you didn't get your hand spanked um, for that. They probably knew because 
you know, at some point, whoever's working on the clearances and, and all the other paperwork and, and the CAC cards and all that stuff, you know, they're, if they're up, if they're savvy and they've been doing it for a while, they're, they're watching that stuff and they know. <laughs> I have no idea. I, or I have no doubt in my mind that they knew exactly what I was doing from the beginning, but yet the story was so plausible because Fort Lewis is the West Coast redeployment hub. Right. Yeah. So it's plausible enough to believe that right. all these soldiers coming back in, they just got promoted while they were out downrange. They need new cat cars. They need new all this. So, right. yeah. Um, well, well, yeah. I'm surprised they let me get away with it. Right. <laughs> well, they probably, you know, had their hair on fire with a lot of other stuff and could only devote so much time. And it's like, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and that, but, you know, you talk about that guy that uh, had, you know, that had too much to drink and it got caught on video. I mean, there's probably countless stories of guys doing that sort of thing. And, um, you know, general order number one is what you are hearkening to uh, about yep. about the drinking. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of stories out there and some of us have engaged in it. But it's kind of like, you know, big boy rules, dude. Uh, you know, if you do something stupid and you get caught, you know, just man up and take your lumps. <laughs> You know, yeah, don't don't push it on anybody else. Right. I mean, we all have been I, I've never had this this luxury, but we've all have been downrange with somebody who had connections. Yes. The locals. I have never been able to make that kind of connection with the locals. Huh. Um, probably because no matter where I go, people think I look like a cop. So <laughs> nobody wants to be a part of that. But there are other guys who have done. You know, some some other jobs in the military that have allowed them to blend in with the local populace. Mm. And they were the ones who had the connection. You know, right. sitting around playing poker. Yeah. You know what? Let's let's crack a bottle in someone's chew. Let's let's pour a little bit mm. of libations and, you know, let's have a good time. Let's not get rip roaring drunk. Right. Like some people have. But, yeah, all right to it. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, I'm not going to say that I was completely dry, but I never got drunk. And it was on those on those occasions when I did. I mean, we're talking far and few between, but uh, there were some times when it was pretty tense and and, you know, I was uptight and, uh, you know, a friend or two would notice that. So they, you know, they'd invite me over to their their chew and we'd go in there and, you know, just have a drink or two, just a nightcap, kind of what I call it, a nightcap. Just to take the, oh, you know, yeah. to help relieve the pressure and the tension and just, you know, and man, it worked, it worked like a charm. Next thing you know, you're waking up to the alarm. It's like, oh, time to go to work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, and, you know, there, there's, you and I have talked about this before, uh, both on, on this podcast as well as offline. Uh, there, there are just so many stories yeah. to, to talk about. And you, you talk about waking up to an alarm. I want to say it was my first two weeks over there. I'm sitting in uh, sitting in a, a team meeting. Uh, we have our daily update meeting. Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what's coming up. All, all that fun stuff, just so everyone's aware. Um, I, I think our, our tactical commander, who was the second in charge of the team, he was giving the shift leader, who's the, the boss of the team, he was giving him some crap about being an old man and not waking up and Uh, The old man fired back with, yo, at 9 o'clock every night, I turn my radio off. Screw those guys up there. I didn't know him well enough at the time to know that it was a joke. Hmm. That night, 
I turned my radio off. Mm. Excuse me. And <laughs> sure enough, that night we all got mobilized because there was something happening at our, um, I guess our satellite base, which was right down the road. And as soon as the team got mobilized, nobody knew which shoe I was in. Nobody knew where I was living because I was so new to the team. Mm. My radio was off, so I wake up the next morning feeling nice and refreshed. I was like, oh, man, this is this is nice. I, I'm all refreshed. I'm ready to go. I go to the team meeting. Hey, where the hell were you? Like, what? What, what do you mean? I was, I was in my room. What's, what's happening? And that's when I learned about everything. I said, that, that guy, that old man right there, he said no. He said, turn your radio off. He's like, oh, god damn it. Like, you, you just can't. Like, we're going to give you a pass on this because, yes, your team leader did say, turn your radio off. But come on, man. Really? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, well, you know, and, and I, and I guess I had forgot, but, uh, that reminds me that there, um, cause I, I was known to turn mine off periodically because it's just like, man, I can't get to sleep, um, with that thing going. Um, mm -hmm. but I had forgot that we, we had, um, radio chargers that we, uh, I had forgot about that. You're, yeah. We take our radios and put them in the room and, yep. and, uh, quote unquote, leave them on. So, you know, uh, and, you know, and, and fortunately, I mean, I only turned it off just like two or three times, maybe, um, in, in all the years, but, um, you know, maybe who knows why I don't remember why, but I, I, I'm sure I turned it off at least once. And, uh, but yeah, I remember you're right. I forgot about that. Leaving it on, putting it in the, in the cradle to, to, to recharge. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. Okay. So now with global, so you go, you go to work for those guys in, uh, so you get over there, what, you said January 2011? Yep, January 1st. Okay. Yeah, man. Uh, way to start off the new year, right? Um, right. <laughs> okay, so you were with Global now for how long? I, I left Global December, December 4th of 2013. Okay. So, and now, were you at the same place the whole time? Whole time. Okay. And and that was that was in Iraq. Uh, can you mm -hmm. tell folks where in Iraq? Yeah, we were in Basra. Okay. Uh, the consulate general uh, in Basra. Okay. We were we were doing protection for. Uh, I think the fancy definition is U.S. diplomatic interests in and around Basra. Hmm. <laughs> okay so what now can you tell folks uh so the different your experiences how it differed uh between what you did with sock and what you did with global and with sock it was first of all the biggest difference is i wasn't sitting on an interior gate um with Global, I was actually on a movement team. I was actually going out. I was doing the job that I was quite literally trained for. Hmm. Uh, we were going out into the town. We were taking diplomats. We were taking head of state, military leaders. We were going to the port of Umkasar. Um, as, at one point, I got moved over to the emergency response team, and we were at least twice a week training on active shooter drills. That was the big thing at the time. Hmm. And then we would train on, you know, vehicle recovery and 
just sitting in a shack for 12 hours a day waiting for something bad to happen. Hmm. Okay. That was about it. Um, but it was, it was a much different lifestyle. You could tell that everybody who was there was of a higher caliber than with sock. Okay. Um, and with every contract, you have your you have your one-offs. You have your guys who claim to be on, you know, CIA wet teams, and your guys who claim to have done, you know, single-handedly themselves killed Osama bin Laden. You have those guys all <laughs> over the place, and you know, the, you have your paranoid guys and, and the guys who who try too hard. But I would say the vast majority of everybody who was there. They they knew they knew their stuff. They knew what they were doing. Right. Yeah, we've got we've got all kinds of uh oh what is the word? Uh acronyms and words for the people you're talking about. Um mm-hmm. but uh you know, and for the most part we know that typically we, we know who those people really are, but um uh, you know, once once in a great while, I was surprised it, it didn't happen much. I think maybe I can count on one hand the number of times where guys were, you know, uh, spouting off about this dude or that dude, you know, claiming this and saying that. And why they would ask me to go, you know, flesh the dude out, I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I, anyway, you know, but there were, like I said, a handful of times it's like, huh, damn, maybe this guy is right. You know, maybe he's maybe he really is what he claims, um, you know, and, and I've had all into. Sorry to interrupt. They, they fall into a general category and, and it can be broken down quite simply is that those who have done it don't talk about it. Those who have those who talk about it have not done it. Yeah, no. And, and, and I'm yeah, I'm yeah, we're, we're both really familiar with that. And, and typically I would agree with that. Generally speaking. Yeah, somebody starts flapping their lips like that, and it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Resume selling and all the other stuff. Um, yep. Yeah, I was just saying that, and, and it's and it's a small percentage, I, you know, and it's not. But uh, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, so okay, so you were uh, so you're the the difference in the tempo. That's probably uh, another big aspect of the difference between what you were doing with SOC versus what you're doing with global, right? The tempo is different. It, it was, it was very different. I, with SOC, I was working six, seven days a week, 12 to 16 hours a day. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't what most people would consider work. You know, I wasn't physically laboring myself in the sun or, doing anything like that. It was sitting at a gate, which in and of itself is mentally exhausting. With Global, you know, we had mandatory one to two hours of training every day. Regardless of what that training was, we had to do it. We had to make sure the vehicles were running. We had to make sure that we maintained our physical fitness because if you fail a, a fitness test, well, you're going home. You're done. Right. So we had a lot of independence. But when it came time for for a run, when it came time for a mission, as some people would call it, we knew what time we had to be there. We knew what we had to do. We knew how we had to do it. And that was that was the difference. A lot was put on us. Hmm. 
Now you're now we're talking about what so the stuff you're doing and uh, that we're talking about now that was under the guise of the WPS program is that correct? Correct. I want to say it was Whips two or three. I can't remember. Okay. Um, so, and and speaking of training, so uh, you had to go through the uh, WPS uh, training program, correct? Yes, that was in uh, Montrose, Virginia. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, did <laughs> I remember uh, our mutual friend was talking about? He did his on the East Coast. I forget where, and he said it was in the winter time. <laughs> and I still remember him talking about how damn cold it was. And <laughs> uh, did you I, did you do yours in the summer? I, talk about I I did. I wouldn't say in the summer. I did mine in the fall. But um, if he's talking about the the check the box training that he had to go through to get global, then yeah, that would have been at the O'Gara group as well in Montrose, Virginia. Right. We yeah. all stayed in Tappahannock. Um, I want to say that my training started late August and man, it was, it was a scorcher and I, I got done with training. Oh, I'm sorry. My training started late September. I got done with training after Thanksgiving because we got, two or three days off for Thanksgiving week. Mm. A little exodus, if you will. Mm. So, yeah, it, it did get cold out there. Man, <laughs> it, it got cold, but it was also, it was also hot. Right. Yeah, well, and I, I mean, I've been to a number of those uh, states and, and places over there on the East Coast. Um, and with the exception of, well, I'd say th- two or three times, um, you know, it was in climate controlled um, environments, you know, um, coming and going, <clears throat> doing what I was doing. But I had to remember uh, two or three of them for training stuff. And it's like, holy crap, the summertime over there, man. I don't envy you guys at all. It's like, you know what? Um, I'll stick with the, with the, with the dry, with the dry, uh, arid places. <laughs> I'd write, you, know, you can have yeah. the hot, you know, and our mutual friend and other people love the temperature over there in the summertime. It's like, man, you can have it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, even, even you know when what? it's in the seventies, mid to upper seventies at night, it, it's still because that humidity is like, what the hell? And that's one thing a lot of people don't understand about Basra is that we are so close to the to you know the port of Umm Qasar and and the the Persian Gulf that it is so humid down there. Uh, right. The second night that I was in Basra, I was um, I, I jumped on a, a Rhino bus, which is a bus with six inches of armor, and I went across the street to to that satellite base of ours because that's the only place that had food open at midnight. And, you know, I'm still backwards on my schedule. So Iraq's night is my daytime. I'm still trying to readjust. So I'm kind of hungry. Hmm. I jump over there um, and come back. I've got all my gear on because that's how you had to ride those buses. You're behind six inches of armor. Yeah, you still had to wear your all your body armor. It just blew my mind, but whatever. Hmm. Um, I'm walking back to my room. And we had these plastic grates that you had to walk on <laughs> at 2.30 in the morning. It's 22 degrees outside. Mm. All the humidity is frozen in the air. 
and it is all condensed on these plastic grates, and it is turned to a sheet of ice. And as you're walking, you are slipping, trying not to fall and crack your head on these concrete barriers that surround your living quarters. Hmm. And I was like, this is effing ridiculous. He said, nobody is going to believe that I'm in the middle of a desert and there is goddamn ice all over me. Right? It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, talk to somebody about it the next day. And they said, you know, in the wintertime, this place is, is, is cold. You might as well be in the damn Rocky Mountains. Right. They said, but in the summertime, well, this place is like the devil's armpit. We right. are the closest spot on earth to the sun, it feels like. <laughs> oh, I remember, um, and, and thanks for bringing that one. I, re- I couldn't, I think I still got pictures of it. I couldn't believe it. Um, looking down at the sand where, you know, water had accumulated and it's like, you're kidding me. That's ice. And I'm stomping on mm-hmm. it. I'm going, holy crap. And it's not breaking. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and everything just gets rock hard, the mud, the, all of it. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. It, 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 you're right. Who, who would believe that? Um, well, <laughs> you know, I, I tell people, I said, well, unless you're going to call me a liar, I'm telling you, <laughs> I was there. I saw it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, would you going to do pictures? Well, you know, I do somewhere, <laughs> you know. Anyway. Yeah, you know, when you're, when you're over there, I know a lot of guys who have taken a lot of pictures from their time in Iraq. That's the one thing I never did. And, you know, it, I, I'm kicking myself for it. But at the same time, I think back to my my thought process in the moment of why would I have a camera in this moment? Right. We're not why tourists. Why would I have a camera with me? Exactly. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is before the days of widespread smartphones, you know, during my first two military tours, smartphones weren't a thing. Right. In fact, I think I still had a a standalone DVD player that folded up, you know, the screen folded up and down. That's hmm. that's the level of technology we're dealing with. Right. <laughs> Man, yeah, I remember my first year contracting. <laughs> uh, I I took a fair number of pictures and I think somewhere in the second year I I I started whittling it down and and my thought process was probably something similar to yours. It's like, you know, um and, and I don't remember all of it, but at some point I just stopped taking pictures. I would take the occasional picture um, if the time was right. Um, but yeah, no, that's one of, but I used to tell myself and, you know, it's like, I'm not a tourist, man, <laughs> you know, better, mm-hmm. better stay focused on what I'm doing. Um, so, so the, the, the training program you went through to get on with global, uh, that was, uh, you know, the, the, the times vary by usually just a few days, sometimes a week, depending on if you do the, um, I think it's the ERT training module that you can do CONUS or OCONUS, but they like you to do it CONUS if you can. But that's about a, that's roughly mm-hmm. what, a 45 day program. Is that correct? Yeah, I want to say ours was about 60 days. 60? Okay. 45, yeah, 45 to 60 days. Okay. Yeah, and that and that's what I'm hearing uh, from other guys because they were, you know, and why it was different. Maybe, maybe just because I remember. I think the total time we were there was probably 47 to 50 days. And it was probably longer than 45. They just call it a 45 day program. But I remember some very long days slash nights, and it's like. Oh man, by the time I get to bed and get up, I'm going to get two or three hours sleep. Holy crap. <laughs> you know, um, 
So, but would you say that training, uh, that would you agree? Uh, that's some really good training, very good instruction and training, and it really does help prepare you for what you're moving into, correct? It, it really does, and it, it ties in well with what I learned downrange after the training. You know, I was I was talking to one of the medics over there, and our, our mutual friend knows him. He, he's known as the pretty boy. He's got long, flowing hair, beautiful olive skin. That sounds a bit awkward to say, but, I mean, this, this guy really was a pretty boy. He's um, going to love hearing that. He is going to love hearing that. So, uh, anyways, I was talking to him. I was like, man, you know, I can't believe I'm, I'm doing this job. I'm getting paid when I'm getting paid. And it, in reality, nobody back home knows that, for six, seven hours a day, I'm sitting here playing Xbox. <laughs> He's like, man, look at it. We're not getting paid for what we do. We're getting paid for what we can do. Huh. And that was that's how training was geared. Training wasn't geared towards, all right, guys, for the next, you know, six hours, Call of Duty, have at it. It was, <laughs> it was always about situational training. You know the the crawl walk run method. Sure. You know we're gonna, we're going to teach you the we're going to teach you the basics. We're going to teach you how it should be done. You're going to walk through it, and then it's going to culminate in a exercise in an exercise that will test you know two, three, four different concepts at the same time. Mm-hmm. So the the training was was absolutely fantastic, and I, I remember that there was. Uh, we had a, a vehicle driving instructor, and and for for those listening who are old enough to remember Bob Kingsley, I swear to God, this guy was his voice twin. Mm. He was he was a dead ringer for Bob Kingsley. I told him that he's like, who's Bob Kingsley? Like, oh, Jesus Christ, you're killing me. <laughs> I remember listening to Bob Kingsley when I was when I was growing up as a kid. I mean, every what was it? Every Sunday morning, America's 100 country countdown or something like that. Bob Kingsley was leading it off. Huh. Huh. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's, I rem, you know, yeah, that, that whole training thing. I mean, it, it wasn't the only training program that, w- that was like that, but that was unique. And I think in part because it lasted so long. And, and, you know, that's part of the test too, you know, uh, cause they're going to ferret you out and, uh, and, you know, because you're constantly being scrutinized and, and uh, you know, for the 45, 50, 60 days you're there. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. um, uh, <clears throat> but I remember one of the trainers saying, you know, remarked a, a number of times, you know, it's like drinking from a water hose, a fire hose, I think he said, a fire, a fire hose. Yeah. And I remember thinking, you know, I wouldn't mind going back and doing this a second, third, fourth time because there is just, you just cover down on so much and it's so rapid and so, so quick that it's like, um, <clears throat> you really got to open up your brain and just let it all soak in. Um, and I think I'm paraphrasing, but that's the way one of them put it. You know, you just got to open up your mind and just let it, just absorb it. Just let it, yeah. you know, um, but yeah. So, okay. So now, so you're, so you're with global, you're down there in uh, the Southern part of Iraq and, um, you know, so you're there for what, about three years? I I was there for about, yeah, for about full three years. Okay. So is there, was, do you recall that you want to talk about <clears throat> or mention 
any event or incident that uh, that for whatever reason to this day you remember? Um, yeah, you know, there there is one and I, I, I'm thinking I can talk about it now. Uh, for those listening, I wonder if they remember when um, when the attack happened in in Lebanon. The you know the basis of the 13-hour movie. And I, I can't believe my brain is dying on me right now. Um, in Benghazi. Benghazi. Thank you. Oh my God. I I, I almost said Baghdad for some reason. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so Libya. The, the Benghazi attack. Yes, Libya. Thank Jesus. <laughs> Well, they and both start with L, <laughs> right? And they both start with B, right? And they're in the Middle East somewhere, right? That's okay. Throw, throw a dart at the map; you might find it. Um, anyways, when when Benghazi happened, uh, there was a, a a meeting called of all of the you know contracting personnel and the State Department personnel, and that's when they really realized that, you know, if something like that happened at Kanjan Basra, we had no plan for getting anybody out. Mm. And we were, we were throwing around a couple different ideas. I remember one guy in the meeting, he threw around the idea because we were asked point blank by the, uh, the regional security officers, the RSOs, what do you guys need to defend this base? Well, let's see, we need some M250 cows, we need some 240s. Can you get us those? No, but what do you guys need to defend the base? <laughs> <laughs> what? Didn't we, we just tell cows, you? We need 240s. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, fine, let's take a step up. We need grenade launchers, you know, give, give us some 40 mic mics. Yeah, no. What do you guys need to defend the base? God damn. Wow. And then, then we started talking about evacuation plans. We had a couple helicopters that were specifically used for the Congen, uh, the, the consulate general themselves. This was so they can go down and tour the oil fields, go out to far reaches and talk to people, things like that. Um, we said, well, if, if push comes to shove, we can load people up in these helicopters and we can get them out there, get them out of here. Yeah, that's a good idea for us. We don't know how we're going to get you guys out, so here's our plan. And they went into this just completely asinine plan. The the details escape me, but I think it generally went, we're going to get in the helicopters, we're going to leave you guys the keys of the vehicles. When we're gone, good luck to you. Wow. Like, what? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and so that's when, you know, we, we came together and we're like, oh, crap, how, how do we do this? Um, can we go through Kuwait? And like, well, do you really think Kuwait's going to let us in if we have an angry mob chasing us? Hmm. Nah, probably not, because the, um, the checkpoint in Kuwait, I can't remember the name right now, starts with an S. Uh, the, the, main, the main checkpoint into Kuwait it doesn't yeah. matter what time you go there. It is. It looks like the damn U.S.-Mexican border. People trying to cross from Mexico. It is just jam-packed. It is. It, it was a nightmare trying to get through. Right. And we had no diplomatic credentials. We had. We had our passports. That was it. And it was a blue passport. We didn't even have the black passports. Huh. 
but we we realize that if Benghazi were to happen on Basra, we're not getting out of there. Mm. I don't I don't know if things have changed. Um, I'm sure our mutual friend would probably know, but things have calmed down since then, from what I can tell. Right. Well, yeah, and that's an interesting uh, topic of a discussion. I don't know if we want to how far deep we want to go into that, but I mean, it's you know, it, it's you, you look around, you listen, you read, and you think about it, and it's like, you know, from a security standpoint, that's when you should start getting concerned because it's. You know, and, and I use this term loosely because it's so quiet out there. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that, and, and it's not, but it, I mean, comparatively, but that's when yeah. I would, that's when I would always get a little anxious wherever I was is when things got quiet. Um, get, you know, it's like the calm before the storm. What are they doing? What are they planning? What are they thinking? Uh, what did we miss? Where should we be right now? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, and I, I would punch squarely in the jaw any person over there who ever said man it's kind of quiet today <laughs> shut your mouth man you don't, don't invite murphy like that <laughs> right oh man uh, yeah so uh okay so that's uh so you don't know how that ended but so you got out before I mean, who knows what kind of plans they have you know and that's something that always struck me too is that i understand their their mission is a diplomatic one and theirs is to you know contracts with the dod were a little different um some would say a lot different um but the the dos mission because of their their mission statements and whatnot um you know, a lot of us feel really hemmed in and tied up. And it's like, you know, how do you expect us to do our jobs? Uh, but we do. We do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of it's probably in part the professionalism of, of, of the guys doing it as well as, um, you know, the, the, the bad guys, if you will, uh, recognizing that level of professionalism and, and thinking, you know what, these guys might just put the hurt on us. Um, I mean, I remember a few places I worked. Guys said, eh, they're never going to attack this place. Are you kidding? They know who's here. <laughs> they're not going <laughs> to, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I worked at a couple places where, you know, we did, you know, not a lot went on. And, you know, while you were on it, um, if you went outside it and drove around uh, in town, you know, it's a little different. But, um, uh so, you know, I, I think I think that I, I guess what I'm saying is that kind of maybe harkens to a, a good thing that that the guys that are picked to do the instruction and the training, uh, they do they're they're some top notch caliber guys and uh they really mm-hmm. pass on a lot of information and uh you know, to a great extent they're there if we need you know I forget the term they used, uh it was kind of, it wasn't maintenance, but sustainment, I think is what they called it. Yeah, we'll be there, you know, for the yeah. sustainment and whatnot. It's like, cool. Um, so, so you, you, I'm, I'm gathering that you enjoyed your time with, uh, your, with, with Global. I absolutely loved it. Um, I, I left Global, uh, because of an injury is, is the reason I came home. Uh, which coincidentally was also the time that my son was born. And I knew from the moment that I saw him that I was never going back to Iraq again. Mm. But there is, uh, I, I tell you what, there, there's not a day that goes by 
when I don't tell one of my friends at, at the jobs that I work at that, you know, I, I miss my old life. Right. Right. You're, you're never going to get over that feeling. You're never going to find that level of camaraderie or even that job here in the United States. Well, you're <laughs> ordinarily, I'd say you're right, but looking around <laughs> these days, it's like, you never know. <laughs> I mean, we might get there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I think a lot of us feel that way. Um, you know, so, uh, so I was going to ask you, what was your reason for, for quitting getting out? And, uh, you just mentioned it. So do you think if it hadn't been for the, for the birth of your son that you, might have gone back, or was the injury that bad? I would have gone back, without a doubt. Okay. The okay. the injury wasn't too bad. I think I went through you know some physical therapy, um, had some injections, and I, I was I was back within a couple months. But again, you know, just like the start of my my time with Global, I kept pushing off, pushing off, and then sure enough, Global lost the contract to Triple Canopy, and I said, uh, well. I'm good. I'm done. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's something that happens a lot. Uh, you know, and I don't know when it, it, it really became a thing. I'm guessing somewhere around 09 or 10, we started seeing a lot of that. You know, other companies taking over the contracts are getting swallowed up by conglomerates and whatnot. Um, so what, so Trevor, let me ask you now to transition completely here a little bit. Um, yeah. What's your life like since you quit contract, and what's your life been like? What have you been doing? What are you up to these days? Since I quit contracting, uh, in fact, while I was with Sock, um, on one of actually the only time I ever came home for vacation with Sock, <clears throat> I became a private investigator. <clears throat> and I, I kind of carried that through uh, with Global. I, I was still a licensed PI with Global, um, or while I was with Global. Hmm. I came home, uh, ran into, ran into a guy that used to work, um, he used to work the support teams with CAG. And in fact, there was, uh, I, I got his information from a guy who was with Global, who I met in training. And I said, hey, you know, I'm from, from the Pacific Northwest and, you know, I'm, I'm looking to do something similar up there. Do you have any recommendations of people I should talk to? He gave me this guy's name, Rennie Thomas. And Rennie and I, we, we just clicked. He, he was he was good people. Uh, unfortunately, he he passed away in, on June twenty fifth, two thousand fifteen. Um, but that guy was was like a second father to me. I, I love that man. Hmm. <clears throat> but Rennie and I, we worked very closely and very well together. Um, and. You know, I, I ran the business for him for a while before striking it out on my own. Hmm. Uh, and when I did, I linked up with another guy that Rennie kind of found through the pipeline. In in all contracting circles, you have a network that is attached to another network that's attached to another network, just like LinkedIn. You, know, you got second, third, fourth, fifth degree connections. This guy was a, a third degree connection of Rennie Thomas, name of uh, Brian. Um, I, I, I cannot stand that man, uh, but I, uh, you know, had, had I known then what I know now, I would have just steered clear of him entirely. Mm. Um, but Brian and I linked up, we, 
we started a business together and, and, and started doing that. We did uh, security and investigations, um, eventually doing security for uh, marijuana grow operations here in Washington State. Hmm. And that was that was probably as close to contracting the contracting life as I could get mm. because these guys here in Washington state, man, they're, they're farmers. They don't care about the professionalism, the suit, the tie, the, you know, the slick hair, the, the, you know, swift handshake. They don't care about that. They care. Are you honest and upfront with them? And that's one thing Brian never had. And I did, and they loved me for it. Mm. But, um, you know, since since Brian, I, I've had my own business. Um, I, I train private investigators. I train security agents. Um, I do investigations, security. Uh, I do paralegal work for about 30 different lawyers. Hmm. So I'm just trying to, you know, trying to to win life, I guess, would be the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, for the folks that are listening, you were the guy that did my PI training. So, I was. Yeah, and I got to say, for anybody that's listening, uh, <laughs> excellent, man. Um, and uh, I aced the test. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so... Uh, uh, you know, and, and I've heard this term from a few people around uh, in my neck of the woods. And, you know, they said, well, I didn't know anybody was like that around here. And it's like, you know, it's nice. I'm just saying it's nice to and refreshing to meet, um, you know, similar people of like mindset with, uh, you know, the same sort of values and thinking, uh, the professionalism. And uh, so so um, as is there as we as we come up to the conclusion of this, uh, Trevor, um, is there a a takeaway or a thought or two that you'd like to leave folks with? You know, there's there's so many lessons that that someone learns when contracting. Um, and, and the biggest takeaway is, you know, just just know that you're good at your job, but there's always somebody better. I I remember after you know even in training when I was down in Virginia you know our our class leader he was he, he was a seal and seals are are well known in the military community as prima donnas but they've <laughs> earned that they they've earned that mentality but it's still like okay I I, I get it you're, you're a seal that's fantastic um, but you know you're surrounded by so many different specialties, so many different guys who have been in different situations that you, you know what, you're you're not the best. Right. It, it it doesn't hurt to exude that confidence, but you're you are by far not the best. Right. And that should for those who are, who are dedicated to their profession and to their skill set, that should push them to try to be better. Right. The thought that there's always somebody better out there. Mm. Well, yeah, I guess uh, just remaining humble, uh, remembering your yeah. place. Excellent. So uh, be, uh, before I forget, because I almost did. Um, so let's do a shameless plug if you want. Uh, you want to tell folks uh, <laughs> the, the name of your business and how they can get a hold of you? Yeah. So the name of the company is Gamma Security Group. 
we're we're online just google gamma security group um, you know all of the contact information is there we do investigations we do security uh, as as you and I have talked about earlier I do PI training I do security training um, I'm always willing to pass along my knowledge and and just try to teach what I know and, and help people be better great excellent uh, well my friend uh, I want to thank you very much for um, making the effort and putting forth the time to uh, get this done and make it happen um, and for the folks that are listening, thank you very much for tuning in uh, to another episode of Oconus the Contractor's Life. Uh, remember to be careful what you wish for, folks. Uh, stay frosty, and until next time, keep it real.